All right, we're into week two of our vision series for 2023 called The Call. We started this last week. My hope in this series is to help you all see. Remember last week and previous weeks, I believe the word see is the word that God has branded on my being for this year. My whole purpose is to help you see what God is saying, to help you see what God has for you, to help you see the depths of the word of God. And so my hope is that you will see over the course of this three-week series that God has placed a three-part call on every one of us. And that three-part call is this. Number one, to know him personally. God calls us to himself. To make him known to the world. That's the second part. And the third part is to serve him in the church, not as pastors, but as disciples, being involved in the discipling of others. And last week I asked this question, what does it mean to receive a calling in your life? Or what does it mean to receive a calling in life? And I believe the answer can be described this way. A calling is a vocation or way of life that comes from God. It is a path to serve others that is right and it is aligned with God's purposes and your abilities. I just think about that. When you grab hold of and are grabbed hold of by the call that God has over your life, he aligns your purpose and your gifts. And that is a dynamic momentum, powerful, powerful thing. So last week in part one, we looked at us as individuals. And the title of last week's series was You Are Made On Purpose For A Purpose. This week, we're going to dig into and we're going to look at what to do with that purpose, the where and the why. So this week's called Go Into All the World. So before we go anywhere else, come on, let's just pray. Father, Lord, how good are you? How good are you? You put a call on our life. Holy Spirit, you release and you plant gifts within our being. And those gifts are in alignment with the call and the calls in alignment with the gifts. And when those two things come together under your holy name, Momentum and power and freedom and release happens in our lives. And so this morning, I ask that Holy Spirit, you would come. I'll use my simple words, but Holy Spirit, you bring the power of heaven. You are the spirit of revelation and truth and conviction. Lord, convict us of the calling. Like stir within us, oh God, prompt us, provoke us into and closer to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our church's vision mission statement is stenciled on the wall right there for us all to see and to be reminded every time we come in and look around the auditorium, bringing the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus into our world. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 39 says this. It's a little bit of background. We've got people coming up to Jesus and they're all testing him and they're wanting to, the Pharisees are wanting to trap him. The people are wanting to learn from him. And the question is this, teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Because we've got to remember that right from very, very early in the Old Testament, like hundreds of years before Jesus, the whole nation of Israel lived according to the laws that God had given Moses. So they asked Jesus, the Son of God, whom they didn't recognize as the Son of God, what is the most important commandment from the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, 
Think about the fact that God has called us to go into the world. And he's called us to love our neighbor. So I want to ask you two questions this morning. Here they are. Number one, who is your neighbor? Number two, how do you see what you do? Now, I could, I could preach an entire series of messages on question number one, who is your neighbor? I don't have time. The preacher in me wants to go there, but I won't. <laughs> But I want, to, I want to issue you a challenge this morning before you go <laughs> and get all, get all into sort of all sorts of mental gymnastics and try and figure out the answer. I want to issue this challenge to you this morning. According to that scripture, the second and equally important commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the challenge. What if the most spiritual thing you can do this week is to love the people around you well? It's as difficult and as easy as that. And difficult and easy do go hand in hand. To do that, we need to first we need to embrace the call to be and to do what God has made us to be and to do. And then in that, we also need to embrace the truth that you and your work. I'm coming into your workplace this morning. I'm coming into your garage and into your office. I'm coming into your community club. I'm coming into your presidential suite. I'm coming in there this morning, folks. You and your work are part of God's intentionally planned design. See, work is not a new thing. In actual fact, work is talked about right at the beginning of the Bible. Work is not some evolutionary survival technique that went sideways, enslaving humanity in an endless cycle of toilsome labor. No. Neither is work designed to gain power and prestige and material dominance over our neighbours. No. From a biblical perspective, work was a part of the plan from the very beginning. Actually, it's a component of God's purpose and call on us. You see, when God created Adam, we read the story of creation and he made this, I don't know, I guess utopia could be a good word. The Garden of the Garden in Eden. What a glorious beautiful you know what I reckon there's going to be colors and fragrances in heaven that we have no idea about that's going to blow well we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't be part of them with our mere human senses I think it would fry our nose and blow our brains but God created this garden and he created man in his own image and likeness and then he embedded the ability and the power to work deep within his creation, mankind. You see, I've read the Bible cover to cover, and nowhere have I found in the Bible where there is a delineation between the sacred and the secular when it comes to work. There is no, there is no cutoff point. There is no, I'm going to be a worker, and then I'm going to be a believer. I'm going to go to work and work work with the unbelievers or the, the you know think of think of back in the Israeli days in the Old Testament I'm gonna go and work with the heathen and the, the demonic idol worshipping nations and then I'm gonna to come to the tabernacle. No 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 it's all sacred. It's all sacred. How do I know? Fun fact the Hebrew root word for work is avoda. Avoda. I think that's how you say it avoda. Did you know the same word for work has the same root meaning of the words worship and service? How cool is that? 
How cool is that? Consider this. Outside your immediate family, you have more opportunity to bring the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus. You have more opportunity to influence others in your world than anywhere else. Regardless of whether you work at home or in an assembly line or in an office, your job is the greatest platform, the greatest platform to be a witness and a light for Christ. So the most important question you need to ask yourself every day when you get up and go to work is this, for whom do I work? If you're a believer here on site this morning, if you're a believer and you're joining us online, God bless you. If you're a believer, then every single day you go to work, you work for God. Every single day. See, last week I made this statement, the pursuit of a fulfilled life-giving call begins and ends with God. So I want you to see today that your world, where you are, where you live, where you breathe, where you operate, your world is the place to make Jesus known. People everywhere need Jesus. God has designated you as a minister in the marketplace. A minister in your place of employment. See, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, it says this, You are the light of the world, that's your world, because no single one of us can have, the, have, have an effect on the entire world. I mean, even if someone is as famous in preaching as Billy Graham still didn't reach the entire globe. Although it is getting easier with technology. You know, we've, it's kind of crazy. Let this, let, let this just bake your noodle for a little bit. When our, we put our church services, first put our church services online, we had someone from Georgia, not America, but near Russia, join us for church. And our second online service, someone in Scotland, north of Glasgow, gave their life to, to Jesus. And it just so happened that Susan, Suzanne, Susan, oops, sorry, honey, Suzanne, <laughs> Suzanne and I, um, Suzanne and I happened to know the pastors of the Elam Church in Glasgow, and so we were able to link them up. And you know, we've had people from China, from America, from Australia, from England, uh, from Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, uh, you know, South Africa. God bless the South Africans who join us online every day, every week. Um, you know, just it's crazy from little old Blenheim. So maybe you're the light of the world is a bit bigger than even I'm thinking. <laughs> but like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let the good, your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Here's an interesting thing. I've, I've been, I'm in the book of Numbers, so every, every year I, my goal is to read the Bible cover to cover. And I'm currently in the book of Numbers. And, and so God has been giving instructions to Moses and Aaron about the, the specific elements of the tabernacle. And the thing I literally read about this morning was the lampstand that is made. And God instructed Aaron that when he sets up the lampstand, fills the, the basins with oil and lights the, lights the wick, there's gold leaf light reflectors that sit behind the flame on the lampstand in the tabernacle. And the instruction is this, that he is to set the reflectors so the light shines out. Now, you would think in somewhere like the Holy of Holies or the Holy Place in the tabernacle, 
of God for the children of Israel that they turn it so the light would beam in on the, on the altar or the light would beam in on the table with the bread and the, and the incense and everything. No, 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 no. The instruction was turn the reflectors so the light shines out. How cool is that? I love it when I read something in the Bible and I go, ah, it blows my mind. It's awesome. With Jesus in your life, you turn your reflector so the light shines out. You're the light of the world. How many of you are slightly terrified by that? You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. The Lord has called each of us to be excellent in what we do. Those whom God used in the kingdom as marketplace ministers were skilled and demonstrated excellence in their field. Not only were those men and women skilled, but they were also filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's consider a job description in the book of Acts, chapter 6. A little bit of background. The church is exploding and there's people coming from everywhere. And, and there's food that needs to be distributed. And there's widows that need to be cared for. And suddenly there's a bit of a scrap happening between the, the Hebrew believers and the Greek believers over who's looking after the widows. And they come to the apostles and, and they have this little argument. And this is what the apostles say in Acts 6, verse 3. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. What was the responsibility? To care for the widows and to distribute food. What was the qualification? Well-respected and full of the Spirit and wisdom. Consider Joseph. Went from a shepherd to a prisoner to a slave, to a manager, to a prisoner. <laughs> and then he went to the second in charge of Egypt in the known world. What was he known for? His logistical administration skills. <laughs> what about Daniel? He went from being a child hostage to a student in the ways of a heathen nation to the most respected, powerful advisor of King Nebuchadnezzar. <coughs> The list goes on and on. David, Nehemiah, Aquila, Priscilla, Peter, just to name a few. What were the list of their, what were, what were the list of, you know, we think, okay, these famous people in the Bible, we immediately go, oh, prophecy, word of knowledge. No, no, this is the list. Administration, logistics and distribution, governance, livestock and farming, fishing, construction, textiles, metallurgy, fabric and design. Do you see what I'm saying? In Exodus chapter 31, we read where God says that he has chosen a guy by the name of Bezalel and filled him with the Spirit to do what? To design and to build the Ark of the Covenant and all the other parts of the tabernacle. Now, if you've been here any, any length of time, you will have heard me speak on what's called the principle or the law of the first mention when it comes to the Bible. This principle or this theological law says that at the very first point that it's mentioned in the Bible, that there is the foundation point and the source point and the reference point for anything else that talks about a particular subject. So in this case, we're talking about skill, work, labor. Okay, And in this place, Bezalel is the first person in the Bible to be described as one who is filled with the Spirit. Now, I want you to take note. Bezalel was a craftsman. He was not a priest. 
So when we think about that, what, is it, what does that say about how we should view our work? Have you, have you asked God on Monday or Thursday or Saturday, whatever your working week is, because it's all over the place these days, have you asked God to fill you with his spirit so you can do what you do with his anointing and his power? Anyone who's involved in logistics and administration and accounting and administration. Oh, man, you accountants, God bless you accountants. I love numbers, not that much. I, my background's engineering. I, I, I loved maths, but not that much. I want you to read, read where it says this in the Exodus with me. Exodus 31 verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. Bezalel was called to design and to build the place where the presence of God would dwell. I want you to think about this. I want you to kind of chew this over, ruminate like a cow chewing its cud. I want you to think about this. You and I are called. You and I are gifted. And you and I can be filled with the Spirit of God to make our workplace a place where God can dwell. But I work in a mechanics workshop. Jesus loves engines. He designed them. He just happened to give the design to a human. But I work in forestry. Oh, you get to revel in the creation of God every day. I work on a fishing boat. It's smelly. Yep. Talk to Jonah about hanging out with fish. You get to create by the presence and the power and the Spirit of God a place where God can dwell, where you work. So what things might you do to create a workplace environment where the presence of God will dwell? Many, you know, many Christians actually feel like their working lives and making Christ known are two separate things. In actual fact, I have literally, over my years of being a believer, encountered Christians who think the two are actually incompatible. No, 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 you don't do that. That's just my job. That's just my job. If I'm going to do anything for God, maybe I'll go on a short-term missions trip or maybe I'll do something at church. Now, where you work is where God's called you to be. Is making a difference for God reserved only for pastors and missionaries? Oh, Lord Jesus, I hope not. <laughs> I seriously hope not. I want you to see that you can make a difference for Christ right where you work. So what, we're gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to take the word career and I'm going I'm to tear it apart. And we're gonna, the, the grammatic word is we're going to make an acrostic out of the word career. So here we go. C, character. It's imperative that we give careful attention to our character, the person that we are on the inside. You see, gifts and abilities will open doors, but character will determine what we do once those doors are open. Gifts and abilities will get you there, 
Character will keep you there. Your character and your integrity on how you operate work will help make Christ known and help your workplace be a place where Christ can dwell. Let's see. A, attitude. Your attitude starts with acknowledging that God established your work. Let's just, let's just get that right from the get-go. God created work. When God put Adam in the garden, he didn't put him in the garden just to enjoy the beautiful scenery and eat the fruit. No, he was actually required by God to work the garden, to care for it, to enhance it, to expand it. Work is not a result of the curse. Work was around before Eve and Adam ate the fruit. When we acknowledge that God actually created the work for me to you and to, me and you to do, we can give God glory with a great attitude. Ah, relationships. Romans 12 verse 18, if it is at all possible as far as, as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 1 John 4, 7, let us love one another for love comes from God. One of the greatest witnesses you will have at work is how you treat your co-workers. One of the most profound things that can happen at work is your attitude towards your colleagues and to your employer, or if you are an employer, your employees. So much shines through that. Make it your goal to do your best to live at peace and operate with godly love towards everyone at work, relationships. Here's the first E, excellence. No matter where you are, people are watching to determine if your faith is real or if you're an imposter. When I was working in the engineering field, I learned very, very quickly that I had to earn the right to speak before I could speak. People had to see what I lived before they would let me speak about what I lived. You know, I remember when it was a common, it was a common statement and a common comment that I would hear regularly, and this was it. You know what? That doesn't even look like a Christian a business, a Christian conference, a Christian magazine, a Christian concert, or a Christian TV show. And the whole connotation, it doesn't even look like, the whole connotation was this, that anything that had anything to do with Christianity was inferior, it was sloppy, it was weak, it was insipid, and it was useless. Sadly, that is how many people still see Christianity. May we strive for excellence. Now, I'm not talking about perfectionism. I totally get perfectionism. Perfectionism has an ugly, ugly twin. It's called performance. Perfection says it's not good enough, so performance goes, I'm going to try harder. Perfection says it's still not good enough, so performance says, well, let's try harder. And then perfection goes, still not good enough, so performance says, I don't know if I can try harder, but I will. See, excellence is about attitude. Excellence is about the heart. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know what? Let's honour our employers with a full day's work. Let's honour our employees with grace and let's let them be part of what we're doing. Let's honour our teachers, students. Teachers, let's honour our students because they're creations in God as well. Let's learn to work with excellence and honour and out of that, let the presence of God flow. So what I've got, C-A-R-E. The second E is experience. 
God can use every experience in your life for His purposes. If we give Him permission to use all of them, you know what? Your work will take on a whole new meaning. Don't check out of your faith when you check into work. When you clock in, don't check out. But be present. Be present in God on site. And pray for fresh insight into God's assignment for you right where you are. And let the experiences of God in your life shape and flavor what you do. And here's the letter R from Korea. Rest. Work loses its shine when it's 24-7. And guess what? Work comes with us all over the place now because we've all got phones and a lot of us have got tablets and laptops. When we rest, when we unplug from work, it's a sign actually that we trust God with the job. (laughs) We trust God with the business. We trust God with our staff. We trust our staff. Fulfilling work comes from being with Christ daily for ourselves personally and having a weekly Sabbath rest, the Sabbath, the day off. And we won't get into the argument, argument about the specifics of when the Sabbath is and all that sort of stuff because the Bible literally says that God created the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. And you know what, honestly, if your working week is Thursday through Thursday, maybe Friday should be your Sabbath. It's a kind of a crazy thing. I'm a pastor, but you know what? Sunday's a work day for me. Guess what my Sabbath is? Monday, don't ring me. (laughs) That's that's fine. (laughs) But what's in a career? Character, attitude, relationships, excellence, experience, rest. So what does it look like to invite God into your work? You know, society trains us to compartmentalize our lives into work, home, family, and maybe faith. It tries to convince us that the proper place for faith is in church and church only, or maybe on the mission field, or maybe in a Bible study group, but it's not at work. Well, you know what? God wants access to every part of our lives. Keeping your faith separate from your work or any part of your life actually really limits what God can do in and through you. I want to give you a testimony of a man who made this a life mission for himself. His name was George Washington Carver, and he lived from 1864 to 1943. George Washington Carver is credited with over 300 inventions for marketable products related to the peanut and over 100 inventions for marketable product related to the sweet potato. His discoveries, I want you to get this, his discoveries literally transformed the economy of where he lived. One man. And you know why? Because every time, every day, Mr. Carver would go into his lab, he would ask the question, Lord, why did you make the peanut? What a crazy question. But that's what he would ask. Lord, why did you make the peanut? And during those times, God through the Holy Spirit, would speak into his being and God would give him insight into the peanut and the sweet potato. (laughs) How crazy is that? The peanut. And he credits his time with God every day, God early in the morning, as his source of his inspiration and discoveries. I've got a friend 
who when he was working in the secular market, he's now a retired pastor, but when he was working in the secular market, they had a suggestion box in their company. And every day, he didn't ask God, why did you make the peanut? But he would ask God about the business he was involved in. He was, he was a laborer on the workshop floor. And God would give him these downloads. And so he'd write them out and he'd put them in the suggestion box. Now here's a laborer off the floor. In a short space of time, he was invited to the boardroom table with all the CEOs. Why? Because every single suggestion he put in the suggestion box worked. And the bosses wanted to know why. So what did he do? Here he is, a laborer from the workshop floor sitting with the suits. And he said, well, I believe God put me here. So I pray for here and I ask God to bless here and I ask, him how to, I ask him to show me how this place can be blessed and then I write it down and I put it in the suggestion box. And you know what they said? Keep doing it. It works. God, why did you make the peanut? There's been many mornings when I've gone, God, why me? <laughs> Many people have asked that. Anyway, you know what? We're called to and can do work that carries God's purposes forward. We, we literally become co-laborers in the kingdom of God. Whenever and wherever we, we work in life, worship team, would you come? Wherever and whenever we work in the life and the hope and the purpose of Jesus, beauty, justice, goodness, healing, restoration, atmospheric shift, takes place. Why? Because we bring the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus into our world. These three key words are the three value words of Elam Christian Center Blenheim. God himself gave us life. Through the death of Jesus Christ, we are given eternal hope. And according to the word of God, each and every one of us have been given gifts and skills by the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, life, hope, and purpose. And our job is to be, Matthew 5.14, a light in the world. So this morning, I want you to consider this. When you go to work tomorrow, don't necessarily ask, God, why did you make the peanut? Unless you work in sanitarium. But ask him this. God, why have you got me here? Show me how to be light. Show me how to be a blessing. Show me how to serve you as I serve here.